Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. All right. Welcome back from your weekend. Our story so far. No, actually, I'm not going to do our story so far. You, you've got to at least be paying some attention to this. All right. We're going to tell you our story right now because I'm really at the point anyway. I mean, you probably don't do this. But for those of us who subscribe to like the Politico playbook, I get really scared every time a new one drops in my email. I think, well, am I going to have to absorb like a lot of new material right now? That's one of the delivery systems these days. So there's at any given moment, things are going on. Things are changing. Various people are threatening various other people. It's usually the president who's doing the threatening, but I don't want to say that in a blanket way. It could be somebody else. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, impeachment uh, and some of the uh, plots that kind of devolve from the very notion of impeachment. And we're going to do that uh, later in the show, for most of the show, with my very old friend, Frank Rich. He's not very old. He's an old friend. Uh, Frank Rich, who was a writer at large for New York Magazine and the executive producer for Veep, which turned out to be a documentary, and more recently, executive producer for HBO's Succession. Before that, though, we're going to talk to our own U.S. senator. And uh, the, uh, the senator in question, we have two, of course, is Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy, Welcome to our show. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So this isn't like an opera where you come on with a spear at the end. I mean, you've got a, a pretty good part in this one. Um, so for people who maybe haven't followed all of that, explain the visit that you and Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin Go Packers uh, did in early September. Yeah, so in early September, Senator Johnson and I go to uh, Ukraine. And I went in part because I had heard back in the fall uh, about um, these efforts by Rudy Giuliani to try to convince the new President Zelensky to do the political bidding of President Trump trying to destroy Joe Biden. And I wanted to raise with him uh, the danger of uh, getting involved in the 2020 election for U.S.-Ukraine relations. Uh, and he gave me a good answer. He said they had no interest in getting involved. He said they understood the damage that could be done if they did. And though at the time I knew that the outreach from the Trump campaign was still ongoing, I left feeling like Zelensky got it, that he understood he needed to talk to the State Department, not to the Trump campaign um, uh, about these uh, about these requests. Right. So, I mean, people who don't like you and do like the president have complained that you're just doing kind of the negative image of what he's accused of doing, that you went over and told them what to do. How do you respond to that? So Trump thinks that his outreach was proper, right? He thinks that he was engaging in basic uh, interpresidential communications by requesting that Zelensky go after his political opponent. So, of course, President Trump thinks that what I did is illegitimate. I went over there and told the Ukrainians to not get involved in his corruption uh, and to keep our, their relationship with the United States above board. Uh, and so I guess um, you know, that makes me subject to presidential criticism, but I stand by what I said. Uh, it's pretty simple. You should not be doing business as a foreign government with the political representatives of anybody in uh, the United States government, whether they be Republican or Democratic. So that makes total sense as a matter of form. Yeah, you don't talk to the political operation. You don't talk to the personal lawyer of the president. Uh, you talk to actual representatives of the government, people like, I don't know, the secretary of state. Except how comfortable 
cynical are you at this point in saying that those that, that, that are strict dichotomy exists between those two things, that the political and personal Trump operation uh, is completely demarcated from uh, offices of the government? Well, of course it isn't. You have Rudy Giuliani on TV every morning and every night bragging about how deeply integrated he is as Trump's personal political lawyer into the State Department. He's showing off texts that he's uh, doing back and forth with Ambassador Kurt Volker. He's claiming that Secretary Pompeo knows about his uh, outreach to President Zelensky's uh, officials. Uh, There seems to be this just complete conflation between the president's campaign and the State Department. And that's part of the reason that I decided to come out and say we needed to move forward with an impeachment inquiry, because if Trump thinks that he can get away with this when it comes to Ukraine, why wouldn't he do the same thing with Saudi Arabia or Russia, countries that are frankly much more eager to interfere in the 2020 election, countries that will basically say, you know, where and when if the president were to make a political request of them. We needed to cut this off or at least provide some kind of chilling mechanism for this integration of the political operation of the president and the State Department. So, uh, you know, obviously one of the things that's being assessed back here is what are the domestic political risks for the Democratic Party, for anybody undertaking uh, an impeachment action right now. Uh, the Congress is going into recess. And one of the things that I wondered about, and I saw you quoted about this too, is what are the risks to Republicans, uh, members of the House and Republicans in the Senate, uh, if they don't respond in a meaningful and serious way, if they're just completely defensive and protective of the president? So... Uh, I think it's really interesting when, you know, a story breaks like this so quickly and members of Congress don't have the opportunity to go back to their districts and gut check their reactions compared to the reactions of their constituents. And that's what happened here. This thing broke so quickly with a whistleblower complaint and the transcript coming out that Republicans retreated to their sort of instinctual behavior, which is to rally around the president, circle the wagons. And they've gotten away with it before um, because the president's base has basically held transgression after transgression. Uh, But this one is different. I really do. I think that Republican voters, independent voters read that transcript and say to themselves, "Um, that can't stand, right? I have a moral and ethical compass, too, and there's no way that that's okay in a democracy. And so I think what's going to happen is that a lot of these Republicans who were towing the line while they were here uh, are going to go back for this two-week recess and find out that um, this actually was the thing that finally crossed the line for a lot of folks in their districts that used to be staying pretty close to Trump. And I think they may come back um, a week and a half from now singing a slightly different tune. I I remain open to being disappointed. I have been perpetually disappointed by by my Republican colleagues, but this thing might be different. Well, I mean, it'll be an interesting recess no matter what. And the same goes for those six or seven so-called security Democrats, the recently elected uh, Democratic members of the House uh, who have backgrounds in, in intelligence and military service and who who tipped in the direction of impeachment in a way that may have started the whole row of dominoes flopping. But they're going to go back to their districts, too, and their districts are often 
pretty well have have had Republican representation for most of the time. It'll be kind of interesting to hear what the, what they hear too. They're going to get some kind of feedback. I don't know how scientific any of this is, though, Senator. Yeah, and you know, and you have to integrate public opinion into the decisions you make. But on something like impeachment, which is you know really a question of how the president's behavior squares with your moral compass and your understanding of what um, a high crime or misdemeanor is, um, you know, you have to take a look at that bigger that bigger picture. Um, I don't know. I mean, you look back on, you know, the polling around the Clinton impeachment uh, um, and, you know, the American public was, you know, pretty squarely in President Clinton's camp, um, surprisingly. So uh, this time uh, there seems to be this very quick movement, at least early public opinion polls, suggesting that, you know, folks um, have made up their mind about at least the wisdom of the inquiry. And I think I think that's what people are going to find. Um, last question. You were working with the White House uh, on gun issues. It seems like, uh, based on tweets and stuff like that, that maybe you and President Trump have broken up. But So, <laughs> so what's going to happen? Yeah. I, I, so the day that I came out and called, you know, for the impeachment inquiry to begin, the White House called me that night and said, hey, you know, notwithstanding your new position on impeachment, we want to make sure that you're still willing to sit at the table and talk about background checks. And of course I am. I mean, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. And if he wants to talk about background checks, I am um, I, I am willing to do so. But uh, I think once the NRA came out against this expansion of background checks, the proposal that the White House floated about two weeks ago, um, I think it was very unlikely that President Trump was ever going to make a decision to break with the gun lobby, even as weak as they are today. And I frankly think all of this crisis makes it even less likely. I am sitting by the phone. I'm ready for the phone call from the White House to restart our negotiations over background checks. But I think that's probably growing less likely by the day. Well, they've got other things on their mind right now. Yeah, Can do. you blame them? All right. Chris Murphy, U.S. Senator from Connecticut. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. All right. So we're going to move on here. Um, we're going to uh, talk now to Frank Rich. Frank Rich, um, I first met when he was uh, or we first encountered one another when he's a columnist for The New York Times. Uh, since then, uh, he's uh, been a writer at large for New York Magazine. And as I said before, executive producer for HBO's Veep and more recently executive producer for HBO's Succession. And actually later in this conversation, we are going to play What Would Logan Roy Do? Uh, as we look at the situation over at Fox News. Uh, but but right now, first of all, Frank, welcome back to our show. Great to talk to you as always. You're well. Yeah, I'm fine. Well, I actually have a cold, but that's okay. Um, so, I couldn't tell. So, Frank, you know, I mean, one thing that came back to me today was I think you and I kind of got to know each other right around the time of Iran-Contra. And so one of the things that we know, I think, is that when these things happen, when hearings begin in earnest, when the entire Washington political and media establishment gets engaged in something like this, I mean, the air around it really begins to transform. I mean, it seems as though we're moving into what I think you've called him. Uh, what did you used to call it? Wasn't Media Circus? You had a better name than that uh, in one oh, of your books. Mediathon. 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 I wrote a piece. Yeah. Right. Like the Lewinsky scandal and yeah. and, and O.J. Simpson and all the, not to equate the two of them, but yes. Um, so are we in uh, Mediathon? Are we at Mediathon 1 right now? Or like, where are we on the scale? I think we're still approaching. I think that, you, you know, I think that, um, I would have to say the TV component of it is yet to be seen. I do think Schiff uh, did a you know terrific job uh, with McGuire last week and certainly got people's attention. But on the other hand, it was just as the story was breaking, many Americans didn't know about it yet. You know, polls showed that I don't know forty percent had barely focused on it. So 
what will happen next uh, is that presumably it will step up. But I would say before that happens, you know, like, look, one of the biggest witnesses is someone we will not see on television, the whistleblower himself. Uh, so uh, while we wait to see, and, and it's possible the, the Trump administration will try to stiff any potential John Deans out there that might, uh, you know, um, tell tales out of out of school or whatever schools inappropriate word for the Trump White House. But anyway, um, uh, I think what we may see first is more stuff breaking uh, in in our traditional mainstream news organs, particularly the Washington Post and New York Times, which are in a race to be first, are doing a lot of good work, both of them, and where the Times, which lost the Watergate story of the Post and is now behind the post, in my view, in covering the Ukraine scandal, uh, considerably behind, if you just compare today's two papers, for instance, um, has everything to prove by stepping it up. And you you figure there are at least a dozen witnesses to the uh, situation room call between Trump uh, and, and, the, and the new uh, uh, head of uh, Ukraine. Those people have got to be lawyering up. They may be in a position where they uh, witnessed a crime or a potential crime and didn't report it. You've got the whole situation with uh, Pompeo and the State Department, uh, where it seems that he may have been cahoots with this. This is a guy who's very ambitious, Pompeo. There have been lots of stories that he wants to uh, run in an open, I think it's an open seat in the Senate in Kansas, his home state, uh, this coming year. Well, his, his, his career is on the line with this. So people are going to start luring up, their underlings are, and I think we're going to see a lot of news breaks, and then we'll, that'll feed into the hearing. We've, you know, I'm guessing, but that's if I had to guess, we'll see that become the tail that wags the dog of uh, what happens in the House. You know, Frank, I, I find myself thinking also today that this is sort of an idiocracy impeachment, which I think is the, what we needed. You know, I mean, I think it, it, this is a an impeachment that is <laughs> it's the, the target demo uh, is going to be voters who thought, well, the Mueller report's too long and it goes back and forth right. in time. And some yeah. of it happened. <laughs> some of it happened before the election and some of it happened at some other time. And I don't understand it. It's too hard to understand. It really is. I mean, I, I feel as though one of the reasons that Congress has pounced so quickly is they've got something that really, you know, could be a pretty easy subplot on 24 or something. People will get this. Yeah, yeah it's impeachment for dummies to put a finer point on it. And I, th- I think that's true. I think I, I, I also, as I've written and I will say for the 80th time, Nancy Pelosi has such a brilliant sense of politics and she recognized this immediately, and I think as the Washington Post reported this morning, she made a great decision in putting Schiff in charge because Jerry Nadler has his virtues, but as we saw in the, the hearing involving Corn Lewandowski, that committee was just in chaos, and you know, they're, they're not everyone in the Democratic Party and on these committees and in the House is a genius, to put it mildly. And so she, so she's controlling the narrative, as they say, she has in shift someone who's quite brilliant, I think, and capable of doing the same and keeping his committee from showboating and repeating, although he didn't entirely succeed in that, in my view, with McGuire. There was still some dead wood there. But I think, yes, and so, and the, and, and also 
there are too many people on the line who are currently in the government who are in legal jeopardy. Whereas with with the Mueller report, uh, a lot of people, it, you know, a lot of it preceded, uh, if not all of it, but preceded um, uh, Trump going to the White House. So it, it, it was a, a different situation in terms of who the cast of characters is. That's certainly true of things like his tax returns and whatever he did or didn't know, uh, Russian uh, government and oligarch before he was elected and when he was running for office. Here's something that happened in real time, very recently. The players are mainly still in place. Um, they have a lot to fear. Uh, it seems to be clear criminal activity, and so full speed ahead. Right, and and given a choice between Schiff and Nadler, I would say yes to Schiff. Although I thought he himself got kind of bogged down with McGuire, uh, being a lot more interested in well, who did you tell about this first? Who did? Why did you show it to the White House? And when it was about the I White agree. House, I mean that's an interesting point. But what we they had the whistleblower pseudo transcript. I mean, you know that was the meat of it, and he wasn't really getting to that. And Frank, it also makes me think. I mean, I, I hate to be. I don't want to turn you into. Statler and Waldorf or whoever those two old Muppets are sit up and complain, complaining about everything in the balcony. But, you know, Watergate was it started out with a seven member Senate select committee where almost everything we know about Watergate happened. You know, the cancer on the presidency, the discovery of the tapes, the, you know, uh, Howard Baker saying, what did the president know and when did he know it? That all happened with a seven member fact finding select Senate committee led by Sam Dow. Not assisted by Sam Dash, the very skilled question-asking counsel, but kind of led by them. I'm a little less optimistic about this, where it just seems like you know anybody who you know can get through security at the Capitol can go to these meetings and ask questions. Well, I think what we have to hope is that Pelosi is identifying weaknesses in the staff. The lack, if there are not enough Sam Dashes or a Sam Dash. And Schiff's committee, she's got to provide them. You know, this is a this is a uh, you know it's a war room effort. Let's face it. And so, uh, the thing that's impressive about uh, uh, among other things about Pelosi is she's very good at enforcing discipline and you know riding hard on her own caucus. I'm less worried about that. I think we should remember about that those Senate hearings, which I remember seeing in in, in my youth. Mm-hmm. Um, they were unbelievable. They had incredible ratings. People, you know, it was the days obviously before you could record anything. And so people would come home and watch them early or they'd watch them replay. I think PBS replayed them at night. However, they did not move the, the needle on impeachment. Afterwards, polls showed uh, that most people thought, oh, we learned what we need to learn and to drop it. Polls showed that. And Nixon had a comeback. And it took many months, not having a timeline in front of me uh, right now, before things got going again, largely over his refusal to give up the tapes, the Saturday Night Massacre, all the rest of that. But none of that had happened yet. And people forget uh, how slow it was. And then when it happened in the House, it happened, it happened very fast. But even after those Senate hearings, Republican senators um, – most of them didn't bolt, uh, and mm-hmm. we, the dam only broke in the last three months before Nixon resigned. Right. And it really happened fast. And in fact, when they after they had the House Committee uh, Watergate hearings, 
which were less effective and less interesting in a way, somewhat old news, as you say, than, than, than the Sam Urban, Sam Dash hearings, um, most Republicans voted against impeachment. And then once the smoking gun tape uh, happened, they all reversed, or 10 of them reversed their boat, votes, and that was the end of it. And Nixon saw the writing on the wall. But so the question is, where are we in that timeline if there's some analogy there? And I think we may be getting closer to those last three months. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens as all, all these members of Congress uh, uh, go home for this uh, recess. One other thing, Colin, I don't know if you notice this or not, but I feel it's been underplayed. Mitch McConnell made a decision a week or so ago not to block the whistleblower complaint from going forward in the Senate. So it got a unanimous vote to let it go forward. Why did he do that? That's very uncharacteristic of him. And part of me feels uh, his loyalty may be tested. And he, and although he's in a red state, Kentucky, in a supposedly safe race, who knows? He's up for election next year. He is up for re-election. He's going to be running on a ticket with a, the most unpopular uh, governor of either party in the country, Bevan. Um, and, you know, things can mo- start to move. That's true. And he's also said that, uh, obviously, if an impeachment um, moves out of the House, he will take it up in the Senate. I think he said something like, I'm not sure how long I'll keep it up, but I'll take it up for, you know, and he does have other moves he could make, including, and I think this was contemplated by the Clinton team and they didn't do it. But it is possible to seek a dismissal of charges once it gets to the Senate. So, I mean, that would be another thing that McConnell could participate in if it turns out that he's not all that steadfast here. Uh, They could just not have the trial. They could at least move for dismissal of the charges. And and that's probably more likely in a politically split two-chamber setup, right? The thing comes over from the Democrats. It it is. I would say, although the number doesn't quite total the 20 that— is needed, as I understand it, he may have a problem because there's one the group of, of senators who potentially are in trouble, who are up for re-election, headed by, as everyone knows, Susan Collins, who seems to have gone into the witness protection program over the past 10 days. Uh, there are other senators um, who are uh, retiring and may feel uh, free to, Lamar Alexander is an example in Tennessee, may feel free to vote uh, their conscience, and there may be, uh, if they have one, and there may be two or three more that do have a conscience. So I feel he probably has the votes to quash something, but it may not be so easy, and it may force the, the Collinses and, and, and uh, people like that. Uh, uh, what's his name in Colorado? Is it Johnson? Is it, um, Gardner, Cory Gardner, mm-hmm. to start grandstanding to save their own asses, you know, in, in their reelection campaigns. We're talking to Frank Rich right now. Uh, we're going to grab a quick break. We're going to ba- come back. We'll play a little clip when we come back of what it sounds like when the troops do go out to try to uh, defend President Trump on the media. And we'll certainly want to talk about a character that even the incredibly creative, inventive, and devious minds on the writing staff of Veep, and for that matter, Succession, they still haven't managed to create a character the equal of Rudy Giuliani. And we're going to have to talk about that when we come back. Donald Trump, 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 Trump,
Either the Ukrainian government or people associated with it possess real and actual knowledge of corrupt dealings by the Biden family, or they don't. If they do, is it not in the interest of all Americans to know what that is? We're going to get to what the... You know, you've got an opinion, i got an opinion. You got me on the show to tell me what, what I think. I think Mueller did a good job for the country and there was nothing there. I think this whole thing is a sham. I can't believe we're talking about impeaching the president based on an accusation, based on hearsay. You had a bureaucrat who didn't like the president... Wait, 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 wait. What we are know, you talking about? We know he didn't like the president. No, we, we don't Inspector know that. The general says there's an indicia of arguable political bias. That is, that Washington, could, that is Washington speak for this guy didn't like the president. That, that could, this is not about getting Joe Biden in trouble. This is about these proving charges, that Donald Trump was framed by the Democrats. If these charges are so serious and so credible, why have they not been picked up by the president's handpicked FBI director, the president's handpicked that's attorney a, general, William question. Barr? I don't What's know. The maybe they have been. Those are some of the voices speaking in defense of uh, Donald Trump uh, this Sunday on the talk shows. Uh, joining us now, uh, a longtime friend of the show and of me, Frank Rich, writer at large for New York Magazine and the executive producer for HBO's Veep and more recently, executive producer for HBO's Succession. You know, Frank, I do think we have to pause and just say that whatever this story is, it, it has a huge, huge role for Rudy Giuliani. I mean, in the past, he's, oh. you know, he's, he's been tied up in some of this Trump stuff. But what he's doing now is, you know, I, I don't even know if he's up for best supporting actor. This could be a lead role almost. I know. It's really interesting. Um, and, of course, we don't know all the answers. I mean, we sort of know what he did. And he was a thug and he went over and, and, and did uh, tried to do Trump's dirty work against Biden in Ukraine. Uh, and he, but what is really going on with him uh, is a mystery. As you may recall, he was considered seriously and floated publicly for two uh, cabinet posts in the Trump administration during the transition. And then mysteriously and never explained, uh, he was pulled. And there are all sorts of rumors that what, what went on between him and Trump. But there was there was there, it wasn't about that he had too many conflicts of interest, hmm. and that's why he didn't join. Because then, what is Wilbur Ross and the rest of these clowns, I mean, Jared Kushner and the rest of them all doing uh, in the White House, uh, all of whom are essentially grifters with many conflicts of interest? So there's a whole that's, there's that whole mysterious thing, and 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 then his unhinged behavior on television to the point where. It becomes so nuts that even Laura Ingraham can be seen looking aghast in a clip at, at him sitting beside her uh, or or in split screen um, makes you feel that he that he's the, he's becoming the Martha Mitchell of this without the charm or with or the integrity and it seems like he wants to bring everyone down with him he he wants to protect himself uh, and he's happy to bring. Uh, others down, starting in the State Department. Um, I mean, this stuff where he's picking up his phone and showing text messages from this guy who's now resigned from the State Department and is about to talk to the committee um, suggests that that's part of his move. But I don't think he does Trump any good whatsoever. He seems to be incriminating him, too, and it's just a deranged performance. But maybe you have an insight I don't into this, because it's, it's, it's 
baffling at some level. I don't, although, have you ever had any direct contact with Rudy? Like, have you ever spoken to him or anything like that? Uh, nothing beyond, uh, you know, uh, some New York event. Yeah, just, is, you know, uh, and I've never had a real conversation with him. No. Uh, Frank, I meant beyond stop and frisk, basically. So, uh, yeah, stop and frisk. <laughs> so. We, did, we did almost cast his ex-wife, Don, Donna Hanover, uh, in Veep at one point as a new Ooh. anchor. Oh. But... So, I'm sure so she has many stories to tell. But there we go on. So I did have. I'll just quickly tell this story. Um, I interviewed him years ago. Uh, it would have been probably three, four years after nine eleven, and he was at that point. I'm trying to think of a nicer term than whoring, but he was representing Big Pharma, <laughs> uh, and Big Pharma was really interested in drug reimport in pre- preventing drug reimportation. As you know, drugs uh, can come back into this country cheaper at, at sort of the the uh, out market prices, and he they'd hired him to fight off any kind of uh, pharmaceutical reimportation move that would have lowered dr- the artificially pumped up drug prices here in this country, and and so he. He came on my show and he gave this interview where he said that it was a very uh, he'd been fighting terrorism and everything like that since 9/11 and having these things come into the ports would be incredibly risky it would be an opportunity for 9/11 type terrorists and he went on and I finally said what are you talking about these things aren't any different from any other car I mean we have to be careful with cargo that comes in here for obvious reasons but there's I said are you actually using 9-11 as a way of supporting your incredibly rich clients right now, invoking this just because it happens to kind of belong to you in some way. And the, the interview kind of ended badly and he, he wound up hanging up on me. Um, but Good. he Good wouldn't go on the radio station where I was ever again, even after people carefully explained to him that I was the only liberal on the station. I was just this house liberal and they fired me anyway. And no, nothing that they could say to him would get him. He had such a bad experience. And one of the things it made me realize is this man will do anything. He will, you know, he's more like Gollum, you know, than than he's like Martha Mitchell. Uh, And he will do anything. Fair fair enough. Yes. I I don't mean to demean the memory of Martha Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, you're right. He's completely corrupt. And of course, his so-called heroism during 9-11 is suspect since he was a person who who, after all, moved the sort of anti-terrorism yep. uh, 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 mechanism into the World Trade Center in the first place, and then he had a you know police chief, Bernie Carrick, mm-hmm. who used an uh, an apartment overlooking uh, Ground Zero when it was still you know full of the ashes of human flesh as a hot sheets motel mm-hmm. with um, uh, his uh, illicit uh, uh, Judith Regan, his affair <laughs> Judith Regan, all of it countenanced by Giuliani, who recommended Carrick to train American soldiers and, and the Iraqi police in Iraq as we went into that fiasco. So, you know, and he's tried, and has he ever spoken up about Trump's completely fictitious uh, 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 view of what happened on 9-11, you know, with what was it? Arabs were like they were cel- death to America. They were celebrating in, in Jersey City. Yeah, he. Um, they were celebrating in Jersey City. Uh, no doubt, listening to Bruce Springsteen while they were doing so, and then also uh, Trump's completely made up uh, account of his own heroism uh, at Ground Zero in the aftermath of the attack. Mm-hmm. He's never said a word about that. Horror is the right word, but now he's like, you know, I, I, it's reached such a level of derangement, but I feel, I know Biden wants, the Biden campaign has asked that uh, 
television uh, networks not show him because, after all, he is just frothing at the mouth of Joe McCarthy like charges against Biden and his family. That said, the more he's on television, the better it is for uh, Trump's uh, demise. In yeah. my humble opinion. I, I thought that was a miscue by the Biden people, too. Acting yeah. like you care one yeah. way or the other. You know, acting like you care yeah. one way or the other, whether he's on television, I think is uh, probably a mistake. But, you know, uh, that's Giuliani. The other thing that I think, you know, you and I have been in this business a long time and we have a lot of experience mm-hmm. that, and we try to learn from our experience. But the other thing that we're having to do is admit to ourselves that we are in a situation that is terra incognita, is not particularly based on precedent. And and one of the ways I think that's true, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, is, you know, for the most part, Clinton and Nixon, their basic strategy was to convince us they were okay, that that they were, you know, in better shape than yeah. what Ken Starr or, uh, or Jaworski might be saying about them. You know, there's a little miscue here and here. There's the I'm not a crook was probably not a good, good thing to say. But, but, you know, by and large, that was the plan, was to act presidential. That's clearly not the plan now, right? I mean, one of the things that Donald Trump is not going to do is become more statesmanlike. Uh, no, and quite, quite the reverse. Mm-hmm. He's behaving like a madman and, you know, positing the idea of a civil war, mm-hmm. threatening the stock market will crash. No, it does have a kind of downfall feel to it, as in the movie, mm-hmm. and... Um, and also, let's be honest, he doesn't even know what it would mean to act presidential. Right. Even at his best, when people, when some commentators, including some liberals, I'm sure not you, certainly not me, have said, oh, he's looking presidential, his, his only idea of looking presidential at all is to read uh, a speech from a teleprompter that's been written for him without deviating from it. That's about the only so-called presidential thing he's capable of. And uh, so even if they try, even if he tried to turn over some sort of new leaf as a PR uh, strategy to get through this mess, I don't think he could do it. Right. And it does. Yeah. I mean, and today, for example, you mentioned some of them, but I mean, really, yeah, he's gone kind of end times here. And among other things, he also suggested arresting Adam Schiff for treason uh, in a yeah. tweet uh, a few days ago. He was talking about the whistleblower and anybody who gave the whistleblower information. This is at a private event, but there's audio of him saying they're spies. You know what we used to do to spies. Um, and, yeah. and it, you know, I keep going back to, is it, was it Wolf's, Michael Wolf's book where there was some talk among like McMaster and and Mattis and uh, and Tillerson about like would they need to tackle him at some point? Would they need to just rush in and pin him down before he did something? I mean, you know, this is not a guy who's going to go through this process. I mean, Nixon walking around drinking too much California wine and talking to paintings of other presidents—that's fine. But I don't think that's yeah, what we're we looking take at here. That now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we take that now. Yeah, that's that's civilized behavior of a. Of a wine connoisseur, yeah? <laughs> right. But I, you, you do sort of wonder, I mean, if there's anything in place in there in that, you know, Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass White House right now, is there any kind of fail-safe mechanism to stop this guy if he really starts to act even more crazy? I, I guess the one part of it, the answer is no. Mm. But my guess is the one part of it that's most worrisome, which is, um, 
the nuclear codes. I, I, that I don't see happening. I, I, there's there's a enough of a uh, still uh, an, an infrastructure in the military that that's not. I, I can't imagine that. Frankly, and also, I don't think he'd know how to work them, even if he had well. access to them. Uh, but uh, but I think in terms of his. It's so far gone now, it suggests that there's no one there who will say no to him. And there aren't that many people there anyway. We're talking about Stephen Miller, Kellyanne Conway, his family members, uh, uh, what's his name, Mulvaney, the, mm-hmm. the chief of staff who, who lets him do anything. And so, there, you know, any, to the extent there were any serious people around him at all, which I've always felt was overrated, that John, someone like John Kelly was totally overrated in that department. But now there aren't even, or McMaster for that matter, now they're all gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, and, and Pompeo, before this happened, was out the door, I'm convinced, to, to, to escape with his reputation intact, or try to, and then run for Senate, as I mentioned before. And so now... He's good. he's trapped with him. Mike Pence is trapped with him. Maybe guilty of uh, assisting in some of this stuff, and that's why we have Rudy Giuliani. Right. Well, there's a reason. There's one more person that we haven't uh, named yet, uh, I think, anyway, and that's William Barr. Maybe we'll talk about William Barr on the other side of this break. Talking to Frank Rich right now, and he'll be with us uh, after this. I hate these magazine quizzes, but then I wind up compulsively taking them. What does your impeachment IQ say about your personality? All right, I'll try one question. Which celebrity do you most expect to see involved in the Senate impeachment trial? One, Mark Ruffalo. Two, Lizzo. Three, Bette Midler. Oh, (laughs) I totally know this one. It's Lizzo. All right, I'll do another one. Which of the following could be your secret name for Attorney General William Barr? One, the Fat Jonas Brother. Two, Captain Clammy. Three, Professor Sexy. Well, I'm not into body shaming, and anyway, it's definitely got the whole clammy thing going on. I'm going to be honest with you, I took the whole test, and it said I was a commitment-phobic whistleblower. That's not right. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf, and part of Bill Curry was played by Linda Tripp. On tomorrow's show, Board Games. And now... Back to Colin. Also, want to just quickly put in a plug for the fact that, as you probably have heard, but with all of our moiling about it, uh, a few weeks ago we went out to Long Island to spend a day with Jimmy Webb, the great songwriter. Uh, we uh, had all kinds of adventures talking to Jimmy Webb. So it's, we've never done this before. We're going to do two shows on successive Wednesdays. So this Wednesday you'll hear part one of uh, of us and Jimmy Webb, uh, the creator of all that great music. All right, so uh, back to um, less musical topics, and that would be impeachment. Uh, with us is uh, Frank Rich, writer-at-large for New York Magazine and executive producer of Veep and Succession. And actually, since I'm just mentioning Succession, uh, Frank, I do think we need to... Um, by the way, success, second season of Succession, and I'm not just being nice to you. This is really amazing. What, what I didn't see last night's because my significant other's not home yet to watch it with me, but what I've seen so far is just so incredible here. But I find myself thinking about Logan Roy, the patriarch played by Brian Cox, as I think about how the House of Fox is going to deal with this situation. You know, just going straight down the line 
pro-Trump may not be a great move. And as I'm thinking about what would Logan Roy do anyway, I think Logan Roy would say anything's good for us as long as it's a pretty good story. I mean, the, the death of the king or the king prevailing, it almost doesn't matter. But how do you look at Fox right now? I, th- I think that's exactly right. Uh, leaving for a second, leaving Waystar Royco, Logan Roy's fictional company and network AT and out of it. Cause we may be taking it, our own story path. It doesn't okay. mostly involve Trump, at least not yet. But, but um, I think they want to, they're in the business of making money. I feel that uh, uh, Murdoch is a situational uh, actor in commerce. And there's not, if, if, they start to lose audience, um, they'll shift. I would also say to liberals who are listening, it, it, in terms of Trump's fate, it doesn't matter what happens because those the people, it's not that large an audience. People have to remember, you know, Hannity gets what, three or four million viewers a night. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all turned there to hear what they already know. And so uh, even if to the very end, they keep supporting every single thing that Trump does, uh, someone like Hannity, it, it, it's not going to affect the election. These, these are the true committed. This is, these are the, the, you know, these are the people in the bunker. These are the 25% of the country that still supported Nixon after he resigned. So I wouldn't fret too much about it. But already we're seeing signs of, of uh, uh, some turmoil there. We're seeing, you know, a little bit of a war break out between the Tucker Carlson's and Hannity's and the uh, news anchors of the day who are not supposed to have opinion. Uh, Chris Wallace, their Sunday interviewer, they're, you know, mm-hmm. did a better job certainly than Meet the Press did over this past weekend, just grilling uh, uh, Stephen Miller and his excuses for Trump and his um, his talking points. And so we'll see. You know, I think in the end, uh you know, as he cut bait on Roger Ailes, Murdoch will uh, turn on a dime if he sees uh, um, his money, you know, the bottom line threatened and his power threatened. And in this case, too, we're now talking about Murdoch wanting a much smaller empire than he was, you know, even a couple of years ago during the last or during the 2016 election, uh, because he sold off much of it to Disney. So, I think he's probably watching the situation closely, not knowing him, if I had to guess. And there may be a time where he runs for cover. Right. And although and I agree with everything that you just said, especially we attach way too much importance uh, to what happens on primetime, all news cable. The audiences are they all smaller audiences. I mean, everybody thinks that the network evening news, nightly evening news is this dinosaur. But almost all of those have bigger audiences, larger uh, groups of people tuning in than tune in to Anderson Cooper or any of them. Indeed, collectively, the three networks, at least in the East, 630 newscasts, uh, have about 20 million viewers, I think, still. Right. I don't think that's... I think if you took uh, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox and added them all together in prime time, I think it'd be like 10 million viewers. Yeah, I think that's right. So, so I agree with all that. I guess the place that I might depart from you a little bit is mm-hmm. that, you know, Trump himself sees reality as 
kind of electro incarnate on television. In other words, you know, there's that whole idea yeah. that people who want to talk to him go on television so that he'll watch them. You know, that he has processed so much stuff from his couch potatoes position that, you know, if if Fox gets into a post-Trump mode while he's still in the White House, that may have, a, you know, a bigger impact on his psyche than some of the things that happen person to person in his life. Yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting point that, frankly, I hadn't occurred to me. But you're absolutely right. Um, it's sort of been his Truman Show, if you will. Mm-hmm. They could have an impact on him because that's that's his lifeline to what he thinks is real life. And uh, if they start to shift, already he's you know expressing disgruntlement that people like Shepard Smith. Uh, who have no power at all, really, and just, you know, like afternoon anchors uh, on a cable news channel are not taking his version of the facts. So given that, imagine if some of this actually infiltrated one of the uh, people in prime time, and what if one of those people was also susceptible, was reflecting Murdoch? You mm-hmm. know, what if uh, uh, one of them sort of saw which way the wind was blowing on the assumption that they don't have much in the way of uh, core integrity or ethics and start shifting could could make him even more insane than he is. Uh, it's a great point. So uh, we got just a few minutes left with Frank Rich. It's been such a privilege to talk to you. I, you know, I think oh, with all of these you. things, you, you have to pick your specialty. I, I'm trying to decide what my specialty is going to be, but I'm I'm tempted to have it be Bill Barr because I, I think he's one of the more unexplored. He's like the Greenland of the story, you know. Uh, we don't know that mm-hmm. much about him. Uh, he, he's a fairly recent arrival, although it's his second stint as attorney general. The main thing we know him is know is that he wanted to give us this helpful praise of the Mueller report and he completely lied about what was in it. But we also have this interesting little exchange between him and Kamala Harris, who, even if she's not going to be president, maybe she shouldn't be president because she's so good at this stuff. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir. Um, the president or anybody else. Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, uh, there have been discussions of, of matters out there that uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation. But Perhaps they've suggested? I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted? I, I don't know. Inferred? You don't know. Okay. Would have been implied, not well, inferred. But, um, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. React. Implied. Yeah, it's incredibly incriminating, and clearly he played a role in this Ukraine story, and uh, and you know it's so interesting. Here's there are many mysterious things about Barr. So here's a guy. I'm really interested in your take more than my own. Here's a guy who had a reputation of being kind of uh, an ethical, effective, somewhat brilliant guy and conservative, conservative, but you know. Uh, worked in the Bush administration, you know, there was nothing dirty on his record at all. What has happened to him? Why did he take this job in the first place? What was in it for him? And then, you know, his behavior on the Mueller report, now we can see that he's obviously going to be implicated in this, and that his Justice Department is trying to sh- is trying to shut down uh, uh, the whistleblower. Um, plus, you know, 
having a $30,000 contract and still a party in the Trump Hotel in D.C., it's bizarre. I mean, do you have any theories of why? Because he did have this whole other reputation. He's not a kid. Why would someone, you know, who basically came out of retirement and doesn't seem to be uh, senile do this? You know, I wish I had a really cool theory. Uh, I, I like you. I know other smart, principled conservatives, kind of from his first iteration at the Department of Justice, who I believe think well of him. I know I'm going to get a lot of texts from one of them at the end of the show. But um, so, but yeah, no, it's like. Nicholas Cage's movie choices or something, you just start thinking maybe he has like a tax problem or something. Um, I, I don't think it's that. I do think that it is, it, it's the mindset of a certain kind of gambler. Everybody thinks, I can beat this. I can, yeah, I watched, you know, people like Tillerson and Kelly and Mattis, and I, I watched him just completely defeat a Paul or break the spirits uh, of people who are pretty impressive people. But I, I can somehow or other negotiate this labyrinth. That's what they think that's the only theory i have frank but you have 60 seconds to come up with something better maybe maybe so but it's such a change in behavior i i just don't i just don't understand it he's obviously wealthy mm-hmm. he doesn't need to be corrupt uh nothing about him suggests a donald trump like personality or affinity it's bizarre. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I can't add to what you said. I'm sorry to say. No, that's okay. That's why I'm making him my specialty. I feel like there's a... I a, think that's a good idea. There's an L-O-D-E type of load there that's worth kind of digging into. All right, Frank Rich, such a joy. Everybody, I hope everybody is watching Succession. It is... Oh, well, that's very nice of you. No, it really is. talking to you, Tom, really. Yeah, well, we've known each other a long, long time now. This we might not have. Be, I will see you soon. It's not even our third scandal. I don't know what scandal we're on right now, but all the scandals have been fun with you. All right. Well, we're going to say goodbye and we will be back to see you. Uh, what we have, well, make sure you, you tune in for the Jimmy Webb thing. This is a very special kind of show. It's unlike anything else that we've ever done. And that's all I'm going to say about it.